0: Mic check, mic check. Before we start this Restaurant Fiction episode, I need your help. I need a huge favor. For all of the fans of Restaurant Fiction and the occasional listeners of Restaurant Fiction, please go on iTunes and give us a review and rate us. It's the main way how we continue to have these amazing guests and provide you with awesome content. Thank you. Faden? Cut two. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action. What's going on, everyone? This is the Restaurant Fiction Podcast. The podcast that reviews fictional restaurants, bars, and clubs featured in TV and film, as well as provide key insight on the screenwriting process. I'm your host, Monis Rose, and our guest today is Graham Yost, creator and showrunner of the FX show, Justified. Graham helps break down the two dominant bars featured in Harlan County, as well as go in depth with how a writer executes chemistry between two characters on the page. Plus... Though Graham knows a lot about Elmore Leonard's works, he also knows a heck of a lot about the movie Galaxy Quest. You'll see why. Now without any further ado, here's the review of the High Note Bar from Justified and my interview with Graham. Guys, Restaurant Fiction just got back from a road trip. Yep, we love going on the road, actually, and this time around, we went to the south. We went all the way to bourbon country. We went all the way to where the KFC is supreme. We went all the way to pretty much uh, Wildcat and Cardinals country. We went to Kentucky. That's right. But actually, uh, if you don't mind, we actually did not go to uh, Louisville. We did not go for the horse races or the Cardinals game. We went three hours south of Lexington. Yeah, that's right. So the only kind of collegiate flag you're going to see is a Wildcat flag. Uh, The place we went to is the High Note Bar. And our guest today is Graham Yost. Why is Graham here? Because he is also an aficionado and an experienced uh, patron of the High Note Bar. So let's get to it. What's really significant about the high note bar? Well, from the looks of it, when you walk in, really nothing when you walk in. I mean, it's really a no frills sports bar. Yeah, maybe like somebody lives above the place or not. But I mean, there's uh, nothing truly, truly special from first uh, impressions. What I mean by that is you get the plain wooden tables, you get the Tiffany lamps Yes, there are the neon signs advertising beer and booze. The beer on tap is dos equis, and the major labeled stuff that one can see is just regular Jack Daniels and wild turkey. Now, like In N Out has a secret menu, the Hino Bar in a way, has a secret menu too, but really just secret uh, secret stuff, you know, a secret stash. Uh, we found this out because we were nice. We were kind. Uh, if you are not kind or nice in this place, let's just say um, there is no bouncer at the high note bar, only a shotgun, and the bartender has one. We did not get to see that. We only saw the special reserve stuff behind the counter. Yes, the bartender poured us Wild Turkey 14. Now, what is Wild Turkey 14? Well, it's $40 a shot stuff. That's better than 101 in the generic. And it's delicious. Yes, it's like it tastes like toffee, molasses, and clementine all rolled up into one. Oh, the drinking did not stop there. No siree bap. We had bullet barrels, or excuse me, bullet barrel strength. Now that's, that's a whole nother level than just the regular bullet that served at the hipster craft cocktail, old fashioned bar. Yes, it, uh, because it was more mellow, um, tasted more, it was tasted more like florals, you know, mellow with, um, the hint of florals all around. Uh, the last one, because we only had three, three, uh, I guess, little uh, drams, if you will, maybe a little bigger than a dram, was Four Roses Single Barrel, and the Four Roses Single Barrel was like a dessert, yeah, it was like a smooth liqueur, almost, that you put on top of ice cream, hints of cherries, vanilla, and chocolate, It melted my ice cream up, and made a little uh, single barrel, Four Roses Single Barrel float, It was delicious. So who's frequenting the high note bar? Well, at first impressions, uh, there's some criminals um, and corporate greed. You know what I'm talking about. Yes, you know a criminal when you see one, or at least you see one in the high note bar. Same with corporate greed. That did not scare us because at the same time, sitting um, in a really good spot, probably at the bar, are U.S. Marshals. Yes, it's a, a hangout spot for U.S. Marshals. So there's a fine balance of the creme de la creme who uh, live and breathe in Harlan County. This is not saying a great representation of Kentucky in general, just of this world. And because of that, we always want to come back, even though when we're drinking, we want to uh, get out. All right, so Graham, what'd you think?
1: So, yes. Now, there was a place, and I can't remember what it was called. It was in Lexington. It was walking distance from the hotel we stayed in. We went down the the weekend before the final episode of the series aired. We went to Kentucky. And we hung out with some marshals for a bit. And then we went down to Harlan. A bunch of the marshals came with us um, on their off time. We showed the final episode to the people of, of Harlan. But there was a restaurant we went to that we would just walked to. And I do remember they served the bourbon that you haven't discussed, which is Pappy Van Winkle. Pappy is Pappy Van Winkle. And by the way, this is one of the funniest things about this show. This is a bourbon-soaked show. Everyone's over there. They're either <laughs> drinking bourbon or cracking a beer or having something. I don't drink. I haven't had a drink in a long time for very good reasons. But at any rate, <laughs> it was fun to write about it. And, and Elmore Leonard, for a big period of his life, he'd write, uh, write about all these boozers, and yeah, he wasn't drinking either. But anyway, um, but my assistant knew about Pappy Van Winkle, and so we worked it into a script, and we <laughs> were always hoping that we could get some. Well, you could really
0: tell of who has maybe a finer palette by what he or she orders you know versus oh I'll just have the bullet versus I'll have the you know the bullet reserve single
1: batch absolutely (laughs) and that was sort of part of the thing with Boyd is that uh, Boyd Crowder had this sort of slightly elevated sense of himself and and all of that so of course he would gravitate towards the pappy that's sort of to him a little bit of the was the promised land to him that he was going to live in a house on the hill and he'd be able to drink Pappy Van Winkle and have Ava at his side? It didn't quite work out that way for him, but that I think was his dream. Uh, we went to this restaurant in Lexington and it sort and it was yeah fifty dollars a shot um, and I think we got a shot for the table. I didn't have any, but the other people, uh, Joel Carter and and Ingrid Escajeda and uh, a couple of the other writers, I think they all took sips of it. Yeah, they, they said it was they said it was great. Dave Andron, one of the writers, came into some money and to invest it, he bought a case of Pappy, figuring that it will only go up in value over the years. And I'll give you his address. It's in the back closet on the floor, the case. I'm kidding. I don't know
0: where it is. <laughs> no, for all of our, our listeners, oh, what Graham is saying is the truth. Uh, uh, Pappy Van Winkle's, you can probably get it on eBay, we last saw, for $1,600 a bottle. Fantastic. Yes, yeah, and that's... I think just the regular, that's not even any kind of special or anything like that. What went into the creation of The High Note? The,
1: the bars that we created on the show, The High Note in Lexington and Johnny's Bar um, in Harland, were much more down and dirty. Pretty sure we called it The High Note because that was the name of the label that Dave Alvin, the singer-songwriter that I love, who appeared in the show in Season 2, um, and then wrote a song for us and, I, and did some other stuff for us in Season 4. But anyway... Uh, he was originally on a label called, I'm believe, no, it was High Tone, but I mean it, but that didn't work, so we call it the high note.
0: You placed a number of key scenes, showdowns, and even fights in a bar in, throughout the entire series of yes. Justified. Uh, is there an advantage of putting these scenes into a bar, and uh, also what's the appeal in having them there?
1: Well you know I think there's a bunch of things that go into it and we'll just start with the practicality that one of the reasons we decided to have both the High Note bar uh, in Lexington for seasons three and a bit into the season season three and a bit into season four was to have a place for Raylan to have other scenes Um, and so we could build it on the stage. And similarly we built Johnny's bar. We went to a bar in season one and and I think we went back there once, and then we decided from season two on just to build it. Um, and the reason for that is you've got another place you can go, so you're not out on location. And you can move a lot faster when you're shooting on the stage. You've got all the lights all set and everything. So that's a practical thing. The other thing is that you can get great lighting. You know, they can really look good, because there's neon, and there's lights behind the bar, and the reflections off, off mirrors, because there's always mirrors and bars... And then the different colors of the liquor and the light refracted, refracted through the liquor and how that is. And there's wood. Um, you can have those uh, those lights over the pool tables, which also is a, not a necessarily a sponsorship thing, but it's sort of a product placement thing. And the production now we don't. One of the th- secret truths of Hollywood is the, the production doesn't see any of that money. That just goes to the studio network. It doesn't sort of, it doesn't mean, oh, we get another $5,000 to play with because we've got a Bud Light light over the pool table. No. But the other thing is, is that it makes it feel real. So it's not, you know, harvest beer or, you know, (laughs) new times (laughs) beer or something like that. Um, It's a real brand and people, makes it feel more lived in and real. Another thing is that um, because there's alcohol, things can go wrong. People can get a little too upset, react a little f- too quickly, um, be a little more emotional. So you're more likely to get into something that could turn go sideways. And then the other thing is, also practical, you can wire up bottles to explode and it looks really cool, <laughs> you know. You can splinter the bar, you can have lights get hit, neon get hit, but especially those bottles, you can reset the bottles in a couple of minutes, you know, and squib them up, get ready for the next shot and stuff blows up.
0: All right, so in... The episode Guy Walks into a Bar, which we have uh, talked about earlier. But for those, uh, for everyone who's not familiar with this particular episode, um, is that the final showdown almost happens in an all out duel. It ends with an almost all out duel with our main character, uh, Raylan, and the antagonist of uh, quarrels of this se- uh, season. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, why'd you put them at the high note? Why not any other location?
1: So that was a funny, that was a fraught episode. So this was uh, V.J. Boyd. It was the first time he was going to write on an episode. He had been uh, a PA in the first season, and he'd been in the room, but really just sort of soaking it up in the second season. Now this third season, he's going to get a script. It's later in the order. I forget what number it was. It was maybe the 8th out of 13 or ninth out of 13, maybe maybe even 10th out of 13. He got the nod, and I'd had this idea about a siege so we wor- broke this whole episode. We were going to have a siege in the bar. There's something, there's a bad guy, and he's taken hostages. And and then Tim Oliphant, who played Raylan, rightly noted. And I wouldn't always say that Tim rightly noted, but in this case, <laughs> no, he had a lot of great notes. And this was one of them. He said, guys, this is late in the season. We can't do a standalone stand episode. We need to have it come back to Raylan and Quarles and that central conflict of the season. We know that the season is building to some kind of showdown with Quarles. We know he's got a slide gun in his sleeve that he can shoot out. When are we going to see that again? You know, it was all, could we build to sort of a false climax and yet make it satisfying? And the the, the twist on it was kind of that Raylan had had kind of a flirty thing going on with the barkeep. Oh, Lindsay, Lindsay, that was. Lindsay, mm-hmm. played by Jen Lyons. And uh, side note. Tim went on after the end of Justified and did a play off Broadway written by Kenneth Lonergan, and it was he was co-starring with Jen Lyons. They were working doing scenes together. It was great that they got back together. But anyway, um, we just thought the idea of her pulling out a shotgun was badass, and it was and it was very much like Elmore Leonard. That was our guiding principle throughout the whole series: is what would Elmore do? Having this, you know, very pretty, very funny, very smart person, but having her pull out the shotgun. And sort of putting these two men in their place, we thought was the right thing for that. And I believe that's sort of how the the showdown ends.
0: What you just described, and for the um, justified fans out there, actually that was a mirror of the pilot in a way, because in the pilot, she
1: comes in. Uh, Ava comes in with a shotgun. Exactly, and that ends up setting everything off. You
0: know? Yes. Yeah. So so going to the pilot, you have two pivotal scenes of the pilot featured around food. The first one, when we actually meet our main character, who's going to carry this entire series, Raylan Givens, we meet him... At a bougie you know rooftop place in Miami he's not eating, but he's at a table filled with crab cakes you know before he shoots uh, I believe it was Tim bucks or something you know it I was, mean uh, uh, Tommy bucks Tommy bucks, yes, but oh, play
1: Peter Green, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. but there was crab cakes, and then in you know and then you bookend it with the big showdown between Raylan a Boyd, and then Ava coming in. Uh, around the dinner table with fried chicken, you know, mashed potatoes, you know, really home cooking. like... I
1: think they were mashed yams. Oh, mashed yams, okay. (laughs) 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 The detail. There was even one other scene. There's a scene in a diner restaurant between Raylan and his boss, Art Mullen, where Art's saying that basically they're going to use Raylan as bait to get Boyd. You know, they're going to like... He's going to be the goat when they're waiting for the lion to attack. What
0: is it about food?
1: Well, so first of all, both of those were Elmore's. They were, they were in the novella, Fire in the Hole. Okay. And he talked about Raylan having this showdown with Tommy Bucks in a Miami restaurant. And that it was a beach restaurant. It was a beach hotel. Um, but it was more sort of one of the big, fancy, uh, beach-level dining room things. So when we scouted, when Michael Dinner, who was directing it, had the scouting done... Uh, it would just became apparent that, boy, if you could get up to one of those rooftop places, that would just be stunning because it would be so beautiful. Now, the reality was that place we shot in wasn't a restaurant. It was a bar. It was a rooftop bar. Uh, there was a pool and, you know, wealthy young things go up yeah. there and drink get their bottle service and all that crap. A lot of skin. A lot of skin. It's Miami. And, um no, no, so what? We'll just set up a few tables at the corner here and we'll shoot it down here and we'll say it's a restaurant. You know, it's it's Hollywood. We'll do what we want. And, and it'll feel real enough. But in Elmore's thing, it, there's a lot of talk about food with Raylan. Uh, Raylan was also, his big thing was ice cream. There's a couple things in the Raylan legend where ice cream sort of got in the way of things like he goes to get an ice cream cone and a, and a fugitive gets away from him that that kind of thing so elmore loved to have characters talk about food and movies and and things like that and so food being food oriented was right for the scene at the end at ava's house she tells Raylan the story when he first sees her again after all these years of them not having seen each other tells the story of how she killed her husband and how she made him his favorite dinner. And it was the the candied yams, maybe, or I mashed believe, yams. Yeah, I believe and, so, and yeah. It was, and a ham or something, and, and gravy. I can't remember, the, the, the again, the uh, specific lines. But how she waited until he uh, had a mouthful of food, and then she shot him. So we felt like, and that was Boyd's brother. So it needed to come back to a dinner scene. I mean, that's what Elmore had. He understood that sense of, well, of course it's going to be at a dinner scene. And there's also something about guns on the table.
0: See, guys, doing a showdown around the dinner table, you get a lot more attention that way sometimes.
1: (laughs) Well, if you think of, you know, who else loved Elmore Leonard and still does is Quentin Tarantino. Mm -hmm. Jackie Brown. Elmore always felt that was the best film adaptation of any of his books. Even though Quentin changed the title, changed the race of the main character, moved it from Um, Florida to California, he still just loved it.
0: Well, pretty much even all of Quentin's dialogue is based off of, or his heavily influenced... Heavily influenced by by Elmore. He
1: he had once said that he, early on in his career, he was thinking he would adapt an Elmore, do one of his own, adapt an Elmore, and just go back and forth. That's how much he loved Elmore. In, uh, In the Kill Bill movies, everything... It starts out huge. Think how big those big scenes are, with Mm -hmm. the, you know, in the big uh, scenes. Like the the wedding and all of that. The wedding, and Mm -hmm. it's just huge, huge. But they get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it's finally just the bride versus David Carradine across the table. And so there is something when you you can build to that tension of just two people looking at each other across the table. That's pretty awesome. And so we felt that with the opening, we had that, and we would also get that again at the ending. In terms of writing. Uh, One of the appealing factors
0: on Justified is the uh, chemistry between Raylan and Boyd. Some actors paired together, they either have chemistry or they don't, uh, which is out of a writer's control. Uh, But how do you execute that level of chemistry on the page?
1: You know, that's a really good question. I think that, you know, on the page, the way Elmore had it in the novella, um, the fact that when Raylan and Boyd see each other after all these years, they give each other a big hug even though Rayland's a marshal and he's looking for Boyd, and Boyd's a bad guy. That's the beginning of their chemistry. I think the other thing is that because of that, these two characters are, you know, mirror images of each other or other side of the coin or whatever, um, you know, simple way you want to frame it, but that they could give each other crap um, and see through each other and call each other on on their bull so that they couldn't get away with anything, and from that comes a respect. So these guys respected each other to a degree. Now, you know, Tim would argue over the years that that Raylan was sick and tired of Boyd. And and there was a sense that he was. But there was also there was something there that Boyd wasn't dead and he wasn't in jail. So he's doing something right in his job, which is being a criminal. And so I think that Raylan sort of respected that. Boyd certainly respected Raylan, because I think Raylan, to him, was the older brother that he never had, that he was sort of looking up to. You know, it's just, I mean, the Elmore rule, and the rule that I've long tried to apply is is, is respect. You know, if you want chemistry, these characters have to respect each other. If you look at the great screwball comedies, or Philadelphia story, or, or any of these things, the and, and I use comedy for a, a lot, because um, Elmore is a very funny writer, and I, I'd certainly try to be, is... If two characters have the same sense of humor, and it, that is the click. That is the thing where they look at each other and go, you get the joke, I get the joke, we both get the same joke. It's like uh, Jack Foley and uh, Karen Sisko in the trunk of the car and out of sight. She's a marshal, he's an escaped convict, and they start talking about movies and you realize, click. They both look at the world kind of the same way. There's usually a certain bittersweet character to it, a, a little sense of poetry, a little sense of romance. Um, so even if it's two men, you know, who, and it's not a gay story, they still need to have that affection for each other. But as you said, it's out of our hands. So if you don't get the right actors, it's just not going to happen. Obviously, your IMDb has it. You
0: know, went from uh, Nickelodeon to big-budget action movies to World War II series to an adaptation of Elmore Leonard and now a series about a common. You've managed this wide range of of genres across all mediums. Um, Any advice for writers who are hoping for a varied career and don't want to get
1: pigeonholed in one place? The thing about being a writer um, is that it really ultimately comes down to the page. So uh, there was a writer on Justified who also joined us for the second season of Sneaky Pete, Ingrid Escajeda. One of the jokes between us is that at one point she was pretty sure, and I, that I was not sure of her last name. And it was because I started thinking of, I had to say it in public, and I was thinking of Alejandro Escovedo. But anyway, Ingrid Escajeda, and she was three seasons on Justified. She had started in half-hour comedy. She wrote for Hannah Montana. She wrote for Better Off Ted. And she said to herself that she wanted to write hour-long. So she sat down and she wrote an hour-long pilot called Left of Boom about an LAPD bomb squad. And um, Fred Golan and I were looking to staff going into the third season, I'm pretty sure of Justified, and read that script and met with her and was absolutely hired her on the spot. As a writer, you can just write yourself out of any pigeon.
0: What are the biggest learning lessons you've had in your career as a writer?
1: One thing is... is As one accumulates some years, you can look back and say, wow, I got through that before. Um, This isn't the first time, you know, that um, you you can pick yourself up and dust yourself off and move on again. And it's also that you don't know what the story is going to be. You don't know how it's going to go. There have been so many projects I've worked on, and I could give you a long list of things. It's like, damn, I wish that had gone forward. And then other ones, it's like, boy, I was really passionate about that, but I'm kind of glad it didn't go forward. I think maybe we really dodged a bullet on that one. You know, that will, geez, uh, Taylor Elmore wrote this great pilot. He was one of the writers in Justified about life aboard an aircraft carrier. And we got really close to shooting a pilot and ended up not for a bunch of reasons. But boy, that would have been a real pain in the ass to make that show. You just don't know. And you don't know when things are going to turn and, you know, um, Failures, uh, and what is a failure? Uh, so I did a show for uh, end of two, 2003 called Boomtown. You know, we did what 18 episodes the first season, six the second, and then we were canceled. I'm, I'm very proud of the work we did. And again, you don't know what you're gonna get from things. The show reigns, got to work with Jeff Goldblum. That's where I met Wendy Calhoun, Taylor Elmore, Dave Andron as writers, all important parts of life going forward. Um, so you, you just don't know how it's going to turn out and um you know as I advance in years and how do you measure success and I would say the simple success and the most important success in this business is getting to keep doing what you love to do I mean that's it you know it's uh all the bells and whistles are or you know the cash and prizes are fine but I didn't get into it for that um that's not true. That's totally why I got into it. No, uh, no. I mean, that's all. That's all nice, and it's it's great. Um, and uh, but, boy, oh, boy! Just you know, I always wanted to make movies and make TV shows, and so to have gotten to do that has been pretty pretty wonderful.
0: Besides being an expert on the high note bar, you're also an expert on the mess hall inside the spaceship NSEA Protector Two. Now, what was that spaceship? That was the spaceship featured in the Tim Allen movie Galaxy Quest. Yes, you are a major fan of Galaxy Quest. So what about the mess hall in Galaxy Quest resonates with you?
1: Okay, so they, these are all actors. So Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, um, uh, God, Chill Mitchell, I think, and uh, who else? Well, Tony Shalhoub. Sam Rockwell. Oh, my God. The cast was just oh, amazing. Yeah. Justin
0: Long. Everything. Justin
1: Long. Well, <laughs> Justin Long, he stays yes. on Earth. But there's the, all this group who has done this TV show, like Star Trek. It's long been canceled. And in the premise of the movie, they're taken into space because these, this alien civilization thinks that the, the television show was historical documents, that these people really are. You know, know how to fight a space war, and they want them to fight the bad guys for them. So they really are believed by these aliens to be, uh, you know, uh, some of their creatures, like characters. Uh, Alan Rickman played uh, the actor's name with Alexander something, but I remember what his character name was. But anyway, he was the one by Rothgar's fan yes. hammer, I will eventually <laughs> And he you.
0: was so tired to say that all the time. Oh, God, he didn't want to say it. He didn't it. want it to his say his it, it at all. Line,
1: and then there was one of the greatest moments in film history when he takes up that line. But... He was presumed to be an alien, so you get into the mess hall, and everyone's being served by these nice aliens that we're rooting for the food that they think they would like the most. So the the humans are getting, you know, regular sort of human food, and then in front of Alan Rickman is some kind of googly glop of, like, things that are still alive, and it's just, it was just hilarious. It just, it fit with the story so perfectly, um... And 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 made logical sense and was just hilarious. Would you eat what he's eating? Absolutely not. <laughs> no,
0: you know they they they. I'm do not knows. that
1: courageous of an of, a, of, a, oh, okay. of, a, of an eater. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. They do have though like a blue Hawaii looking drink though too. I was also uh-huh. curious uh, in Warren that scene. Lord knows what it was. Yeah. Oh, one other thing oh, about uh, Galaxy Quest. Uh, absolutely directed by Dean Pariseau. Dean. Uh, He directed
0: uh, some of your justified. Some
1: of our so getting the chance to work with Dean Pariseau was just so awesome, and he's an old friend of Sarah Timberman's. So he was really just came and he was part of the family. He uh, yeah he did several really big episodes um, for us, um, and just an absolute prince. Did you geek out at all? I totally geeked out on him. I told him. That my brother said, and I agree with my brother, that if you know Desert Island, one movie, if it's only one movie, it would be Galaxy Quest. Because it's so funny, and it's exciting, and it's everything all wrapped up into one. Um, and Dean also, unfortunately for him, I think, we kind of look alike. You know, We had longish gray hair, and I think devilishly handsome, but uh, no, it was just, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I like the cut of that guy's jib. It was just great to hang out with him. Just a, a real sweetheart and just such a great director. Galaxy Quest, guys, if you haven't seen it, uh, please see it. It's If you haven't seen it, you're among the luckiest people on earth because you haven't seen it and you get to enjoy it that first time. <laughs> that, that is true. And I enjoy it every time I see it, but boy, there's part of me that's like, oh, I remember what it was like the first time I saw it. Anyway. What are you ordering at the High Note? When I was down in Kentucky, if, if it wasn't too late in the day and I was worried about caffeine, get an ale 8 Ale 8 is a ginger ale, but it's a high, highly caffeinated ginger ale. I mean, just, it's rocket fuel. Um, that's a, a local favorite. There's also still, you know, there's now, like with the craft beer movement, there's also craft root beer and sarsaparilla and stuff like that, birch beer. So I'll always go for things like that. Um, and, and also I'll want to see everyone else um, with... I want to see how they're, you know, are they getting the Bullet or the, the Woodford or the, or the Pappy? <laughs> what are your
0: favorite places to eat, drink? I mean, well, pretty much eat in Monterey and even L.A. or any of your travels.
1: Okay, so Monterey, I go with a group of friends to this little restaurant on Alvarado Street in Monterey called Rosine's. And it's just a family restaurant that, you know, people have been going to for 50 years. And they serve everything from lasagna to, uh, you know, hamburgers and club sandwiches. It's just really good food. It's Nothing fancy. It's just the, the classic American good food restaurant. And there are a lot of fancy places in Monterey we love. Um, Luca, B. C. Clett and B.C. Clayton, and a bunch of great places. For the last five years of Justified, and then the years since, uh, I've had an office, and we had the writer's office for Justified, and also Sneaky, at the Culver Studios. In Culver City. In Culver City. Mm-hmm. And that Culver City is just chock-a-block full of great restaurants. And there's usually a new one every year that we go, oh. Have you and... been
0: to uh, Honey Kettle uh, fried uh, of chicken? Of
1: course, uh, well, we went, go to Honey Kettle uh, a number of times. Um, there have been a couple that have come and gone. Ford's Filling Station we loved, and then it left. Uh, this one, that one. Akasha's a good standby. I had lunch there today. Um, there was a new one that opened this year called Baco, uh, which is sort of a bread-based taco well, yeah, it's like a step, it's like a step
0: brother of like the Baco Meerkat from downtown.
1: And boy, just delicious. They're, I don't think this is the best name for a dish, but it was green chicken. I don't think green goes well with any kind of meat. Um, I, it's not a color you want to associate with meat, but um, no, it was just delicious. So we, it was like, oh, it's Baco. We're going to order from Baco today. That's good. Enjoy um, Enjoy Eat is another place we love. It's very local there. So we felt very blessed on, on Justified and Sneaky Pete to have all those restaurant choices for our lunch. Awesome. Cool. Okay, man. All right, let
0: me just get a um, picture of you really quick. Yeah. And how was the experience? That was great. <laughs> good? Thank you, Graham. That was awesome. Be sure to check out his new show. It's called Sneaky Pete, and Season 2 is about to begin. It's on Amazon Prime. For other reviews and interviews with Restaurant Fiction, be sure to check out our podcast page on iTunes, where you have the ability to rate and review us, as well as check out our website. It's www.restaurantfiction.com. My name is Monis Rose, and as always, keep it real, keep it fresh, and keep it on the flip side. Cut to... Exterior interior, restaurant, bar, club, day, night, Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. I've got great news. Mortgage interest rates have dropped. So if you're thinking about buying a home, right now is the time to lock that low rate, even before you find the home of your dreams. With our exclusive rate shield approval, the low rate you lock today is protected for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. With a rate shield approval, if rates go up, your low rate stays locked. But if rates go down, you get that new, even lower rate. Either way, you win. Talk to us today at 800 800- quicken or go to RocketMortgage.com to take advantage here's another great reason to work with us for a record nine years in a row jd power has ranked quicken loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination again to lock in today's low mortgage interest rate and get the security of our exclusive rate shield approval call us today at 800 quicken or go to RocketMortgage.com. for jd power award information visit jdpower.com Race Shield approval only ballot
1: on certain 30-year fixed rate loans call for cost information and conditions equal housing lender license in all 50 states nmls number 3030